morning. Good to be back, and we're going to continue through First uh, John. We're in the second chapter. There's three little verses in there that uh, we're going to be looking at. Uh, chapter 2, 15, 16, and 17, but I want to start out with uh, a couple other ones, uh, just to show Paul uh, how those believers that worked together were of the same mind and had the same goals and purposes. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul says this, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power from such people, stay away. And he would go on to say, and such were some of you. And then just back in Philippians, uh, the third chapter, it says, now that, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those with things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many are mature, have this mind, and if anything and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And so we have Paul that is writing these scriptures and challenging us um, in our walk. And looking back, and as we talked about a few weeks ago, we were um, have different stages of maturity. So... Uh, John was writing to little children, to young men and women, and to the elderly. And again, it wasn't the age that he was writing to. It was the, the spiritual maturity of those that he was talking with. And so as we now come into uh, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, these, I believe, go back to every sin that we can imagine. So... If you look at any sin in your life, I really believe their roots are in one of these three things. And when we look at these, we need to really reflect on our life. So John is writing sort of as a mirror. This is a self-test. The little John books are sort of a self-test for the believer. It's not to look at others and to blame others and to find fault with others, but it's to examine ourselves, to look at ourselves and say, where am I in the scheme of these things? Am I truly a believer? Am I walking the way that God would have me to walk and doing the things that he would have me to do? You know, God's timing is, is, a, is a wonderful thing. But unfortunately, in the world today, we are so used to instantaneous things that we don't wait for God. We pray about things, and it's like, amen, and now I'm going to go make it happen. And we don't wait for God. And so John is going to talk about waiting for God as we continue on this, seeing God's hand at work in the things that we do. And so when we look at these things, I want us to really examine our lives and see these things. So in 1 John 2, 
15 through 17, three little verses. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so he tells us these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so as we mature as Christians, we see these things um, sort of leave our lives, or they should be leaving our lives, just as Paul was writing earlier. Such were some of you. So there's things that, that children do sometimes that... Um, you know, are annoying, and, and we hope that they grow out of those things in life. And, and unfortunately, sometimes people never really grow up. But John is talking here about an attack on our relationship with God. And the attack on our relationship with God is worldliness. And so worldliness falls into this. Worldliness is something that draws us um, very strongly. And as we look at this, we can see that the, the problem of worldliness is, is multiple in our lives. And sometimes we don't even really recognize it in our life. So John has told us early in chapter 1 that if we claim to have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we're a liar. We're lying. We're not telling the truth. And so the question is, what do we do with those scriptures? They're in there. So if we claim to have fellowship with one another, but we hate our brother, it says the truth is not in us. And so what do we do with those scriptures? We're looking at ourselves all the time. So when we look at darkness, we're looking at sin in our life. We're looking at worldliness. We're looking at this lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And John points this out specifically that, that worldliness is really a love for the world. And he's not talking about the global world, the, the, the creation. God has created these things. It's a beautiful day out today. Yesterday... Julie and I, we were down by the river and, and we were just sitting there and we were just admiring God's creation. He's not talking about this. He's talking about the world system, the, the things that go on in this world. So God himself created all this that we might enjoy this. But you do know that there's a difference in the worldly system and the biblical standard to which Christians are called to live. It is sinful humanity and it's rebellion against God is what we are not to have and not to, not to embrace in our life or to love. And it says love. But some of us, we, we walk this world and we just embrace all that this world can throw at us. And so in Genesis 11, it talks about human society's rebellion against God. And that's the story of Babel. And most of us know the story of Babel. And he talks about this. And there was a, a leader named Nimrod. He was an anti-God leader. So we sort of know what that's about in the world today, right? There's a lot of leaders, a lot of people that are in positions of power and authority that are anti-God. They don't want Christian values. They don't want uh, these things. And one of the things that, that I, I, I found a quote that I really liked, it says, worldliness, whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. So just think about that. In the world today, do we see things of sin? Are they trying to normalize those things? So when we're looking at transgender and homosexuality and, and adultery and, and you know, all these things that are going on in the world today, the world tries to make those things look normal. Okay? God calls them a sin. 
But so worldliness is anything, again, that, that um, makes sin look normal, but will make righteousness or holiness look strange. So sometimes the world looks at us and they say, you know, you guys are weird, you guys are peculiar, you know, this isn't normal. But God says this is what he has called us to do. And so we have these people in, in Babel that are going to build this tower. There is an organized rebellion against God. Okay? This is the worldliness. An organized rebellion against God. And, and I'll tell you, in America we're seeing this today. Other parts of the world we're seeing this today where there's a, an organized thing going on behind the scenes against God, against godly standards, against godly values, against God and his word. There was a distrust of God's word in the promises. And again, this gets into God's timing. You know, God says he will make all things beautiful in his time. One of the songs that we sing, one of the hymns. In his time, but we don't wait for that. Again, in society today, you know, we're, we're hungry. We just stop at a quick food restaurant. We get it now. We don't wait. How many of you remember like when you were children and, and it was like, you know, you didn't eat dinner till like 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. And so if you didn't eat your lunch, you know, I remember my mom and grandma saying, it's a long time till supper time, you know. And there was nothing in between. I mean, but now we just, if we got that, that desire, we just fulfill it. We just fulfill it. We don't wait on God's timing. And so the world's progress and technology and government and all these things, you know what, they can, they can make man better off, but they can't make man better. The only one that can make man better is Jesus Christ, having that relationship with him. And so in the Tower of Babel, we see that they were really trying to maybe build a, a water-safe um, solution so that if a flood ever came again, that they would be high and dry, okay? Man takes things into his own hands way too often, and we see this in battle. And people just say, well, you know what the solution is? We're going to build a Tower of Babel. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. What did Jonah do in his life? Jonah, he rebelled against God. And he went away from God. God says, I have a plan for you. This is what I want you to do. In God's timing, he knew what he wanted Jonah to do. But Jonah took off. And you know, Jonah never found peace until he went back to where God had placed him. And so we can see that. The, the pride of life. Did Jonah have a right to be mad or upset about that, that city? Well, he might have because that city used to torture Israelites and, and torture uh, his people. I mean, atrocious things happened to, to his kindred. So he could probably feel justified in that. But God had a different plan. So are we better off, you know, doing the things of the world? You know, we live in a society, again, where, where we can have anything. We live in comfort. We live... We live in, in, you know, luxury a lot of times. The, the statement sometimes is, is if you have a little bit of change in your pocket today, that you're better off than most of the world because most of the world is impoverished. So if you look at the world, you could say this. Well, there's things to be gained. Uh, you may find a, a place of prestige, a, a place of, of power, of status, of honor, of comfort. You know, we all work for that, right? I, I want to be comfortable in my old age. I want to have these things around me. And as the older I get and as we sort of enter into those uh, golden years, like I say, you know, I just entered into my golden years, but there ain't no gold there, okay? You know, but really my gold is, is waiting for me on the streets of heaven because that's where God says that that's going to be. 
But we try to get everything in place. So, you know, when we tell you we're going to be comfortable, we're going to have all these things in place. But it says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is destruction. Its end is, is death. So love for the world is incompatible with love for the Father. And so John is challenging us, let's look at that. Let's look at that. And do you love the world? Are you loving the things of this world? Something's wrong with our claim if we say, well, I love the world, but I love God also. Okay, the two systems are incompatible. It's like oil and water, you know. It's like salt water and fresh water. They don't mix. They contaminate once and uh, one another. So, um, you know, there was a time in past when it was sort of thought, well, you know, when we get away, and there's times, I think, to get away. Jesus used to withdraw for short periods of time. But we used to look back and say, hey, you know, uh, the monks or the nuns of the old days, they, they would uh, remove themselves from society, and they wouldn't speak. And then the thought was is that they could focus all their time and attention on God. Sometimes, you know, we get there. Sometimes I think, oh man, wouldn't that be nice just to get away and do, do that. You know, get out of this world and just sort of sit down by the river or up on the lake or out in the woods and just, you know, live that life focusing on God. Well, the problem is, is that when I do that, I bring the world with me into this little oasis that God has, has created. And that's, that's the first and probably the biggest problem. The second is, is that Jesus intended us to be in the world. So he says, be in the world, but not of the world, okay? So he wants us to be working with people, talking with people, sharing the gospel message with people, and making a difference in the lives of others. And that was Jesus' prayer for us in John 17, you know, that, that we would be in the world and, and doing these things, but not of the world. So the world expresses itself through those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And now the examination comes to us is when we look at our life, do we see these things in our life? Are we even recognizing these things in our life? You know, way back in the beginning of man and woman, Eve saw that apple, right? And, and she wanted that apple, and so she went and she thought how good the fruit would taste, right? Oh, man, that's going to be a good apple. You see a good apple or something delicious this time of year, and it's like, oh, that's going to taste so good. She was looking to gratify the lust of the flesh, right? She, she wanted something that was going to taste good and, and it was going to satisfy that. She saw that the apple was good. Lust of the eyes. You know, think in the world today about advertisements on TV. Just how they, they, they try to get our attention. They, they appeal to us. They draw our attention in whatever ways they do it. If you ever watch some of the old, old cartoons, Tunes on the, uh, some of the retro channels, or not cartoons, commercials, um, they're, they're fun to watch, but there wasn't really much for advertising there. It was like, here's the box of borax, and this is that. Well, now, you know, they got this little skimpy model walking with this, or, you know, they're showing everybody having fun, and all these men that are chiseled bodies, and the, the women that have hourglass figures, and, and they try to get to the lust of our eyes. They're trying to appeal through the lust of our eyes. And so it was pleasant to her eyes. It was pleasant that she wanted to taste it. But it also, what did Satan say? Well, when you eat of this, God knows that you're going to know stuff now, right? You're going to be wise. You're going to be smart. And so Eve probably looked and said, well, guess what? I'm going to be sort of uh, pretty wise, and that's going to impress my husband Adam. And so the sin 
creeped in and all three of those things in her life. And listen, God knows. He knows how we are created, right? He created us. Now, he didn't make us sinful people, but he created us. He knows that we have a fleshly, bodily nature that, that craves things, that, that we have physical needs. We like to feel good in some of the things that we do. That's why hugs are important and handshakes and pats on the back and all those things. But yet it's not in God's nature to influence us through the lust of the flesh. That's not God's nature to influence us that way. That's the world's way. The world says, you know, satisfy. You only live once. Go around. Go for the gusto. Get all that you can get. And it's a world philosophy. God doesn't do it that way. God knows we have eyes. And that appearance means a lot to us. I mean, there, there's a natural thing in our lives. When we look at something that's good to eat, when we look at our spouse, we say, man, she's beautiful. I love her. I still love her more. You know, we look at those things. We know that we are drawn by those things as God's creation, but God does not use that nature of our eyes to influence us for him. He uses the word of God. He has the Holy Spirit. He knows our emotional needs and our psychological needs, that we want to accomplish things. You know, we are, are people that want to complete things. We want to be known and, and recognized for sometimes things we do, and even if we don't want to be recognized just to accomplish something we know that we feel good when we do that, but it's not God's nature to influence us through the pride of life. God doesn't use those worldly standards. But see, the world does. They'll say, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, but if you get your degree, you are so important. You are so great. You know, if you do this, you are so important. You are so great. If you look like this, man, you're a beautiful person, and, and you know, you're going to turn heads. And so we have all these things, the indulgence of drugs and, and the, the things of self-medication today just to make us feel good. You know, the world throws all these things at us. But God says it's the word of God that stands forever. And we rarely think about how our thoughts are, are more worldly than they are godly. And so John is telling us, step back for a moment. Sit down and look at your life. Are your thoughts, are your actions, are your, your, your words, are they, are they more godly? Or are they more worldly in the things that you do? We usually believe that we think much more biblically than we do. You know? We sometimes get this high impression of ourselves that, well, I'm a good Christian, I do this and I do that. And, and we think biblically, but do we really stop and examine our lives and look at our lives? And say, where am I going in my life? And when we pray to God, are we waiting on God and saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. You know, there's, there's a scripture that says, you know, search me and try me, show every evil way that is in me. If there's things that I am portraying in my life that are worldly or fleshly, Lord, give me the strength to remove those things. I want to be an example. I want to be, I want to be a bright light. Because, again, John says, he who claims to, to walk in the light but is in darkness is a liar. And so I want to be that bright light. You know, the, the lighthouse that um, we just watched a little documentary on, they were moving a lighthouse. But, you know, the lighthouse keepers, they were up there washing those windows all the time and, and washing that big shiny uh, reflector all the time. They wanted that to be as bright as they could because they knew that lives depended on that. 
Do you ever think that maybe lives depend on your life? We don't save people. God saves people. But people come to Christ many times through others, through an influence of somebody's life. Is your influence that crystal clear? And again, as, as Paul said in Philippians, not that I have attained or, or I've already made it. I haven't. But one thing I do is I press on for the upward call of God. Are we doing this in our life? You know, you can look at another story of, of Lot. And I think we know that of Abraham and Lot. We can look at the, the folly, really, of, of worldliness in what Lot was doing. And when we look at that, we see what? We see this young guy who followed a godly man. Abraham was a godly man. We know that he was a man after God. He attached himself to the spiritual man named Abraham. And Abraham took him sort of under his wing and followed him. And that's a whole other sermon and a whole other series, really, on, on how that went. But he followed him, yet he was selfish and he chose for himself different things. So even though he had the good example, he didn't listen to God. He followed his way of doing things. And he wanted to find out what was most beneficial to him. What is it that I want? What is it that, that I want to do? He didn't want to stick it out with Abraham. He didn't want to go through the tough times with him. He wanted to make his own way and do his own thing. And so what happened to him? He didn't consider the spiritual implications of his, of his choices. And do we? Do we think of our testimony and the things that we do, how that affects the community, how that others look at us, our family members, our neighbors, the others around us? Do we think of the implications of, of what we were doing? Lot did not. He became financially prosperous. You would look at him and say, well, man, he's got a lot of stuff, right? He pitched his tent toward the wicked, though. He had his, his, his you know, he, he dwelt amongst the evilness in the worldly city of Sodom. And so, again, he who claims to, to walk in light and is practicing darkness is a liar. So we see some hypocrisy going on in Lot's life here. He was sitting at the gates of of the civic leaders. He was out there. He was one of the, the town's leaders. And so he had position. He had all these things, again, in the world that we would say, hey, he's an accomplished man. He's made his own way. He's cut his own path. He had all this worldly influence on others. He could say things. Paul's life was much the same before he met Christ. He was a person of power, prestige. He could order people around. He had everything that the world would say. Is, is successful. But yet it was taken away in a moment when God's judgment came upon those cities. It was all burned up. You understand that everything that you invest in in this life, if it's not attached to Christ somehow, is just going to be burned up as hay and stubble. There's things we can invest in in this life that we need to invest in. We need to invest in our children. We need to teach them the gospel. Or our friends, as we heard today, couple going out camping, sharing the gospel, message of those. There's eternal things that are there that are going to go with us, that they're looked upon as, as the jewels of, of Christ in our life. But how many of us are really investing in the worldly things? That when the judgment of God comes, they're just going to be burned up and they're going to be taken away. I don't want those things in my life. And again, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have nice things in life. God has 
given us the ability to have some nice things and enjoy those nice things. But does God get the glory for those? Do you realize that everything that you have is because God has given it to you or allowed you to have it? I was talking with a a friend this last week, and we were talking about our, our little cabin up in Canada and even our cabin that we have right up here in Boyd. And I said, anybody can use these things because God has blessed us with these things. You know, they're not ours. We're just, we're just caretakers of them while we're here on this earth. We want to be a blessing to others. We want to use them for the glory of God. We want to give God the glory for all things that we do. We don't want to be like Lot that puts all of his eggs in the wrong basket. And sometimes we do that. We invest so much. And you know, the thing about getting older is, is by the time you reach this age and you look back and you say, you know what, I would have done things a little bit different. We can't always do that when we're up here, but we can try to impart that wisdom again on our children or our grandchildren or friends or other people that are going through some things. But the Bible tells us in in verse 17, and this world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's wiser to invest our lives and our time and our energies into things that can't be lost. You know, being a pastor and, and any of you that have worked in ministry, you know this. You can sit with people in their, their final days and, and they're passing away and you talk with them. And I've never had anybody say, you know what, I wish I would have worked a little harder. I wish I would have earned a little bit more money. I wish I would have bought more things. Most of the time what you're hearing is, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have spent more time doing things with others, doing the work of God, doing, you know, something that is meaningful. Because when we reach that stage, we sometimes understand that all these things are are of no value. You can't take them with you. All we can take with us is those things that we have passed on to others, and it's an important thing to do. So we have three eternal things. We have the Holy Spirit, we have the people around us, and we have the Word of God. And those are the three things that are going to combat the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because when we look around, we say we got the Holy Spirit. As a believer, if you're born again, if you know Christ, and I'm praying that each of you has that personal relationship with him, it's not just attending church, it's not being religious, it's that personal relationship. Well, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And that Holy Spirit, coupled with the Word of God, guides us in the decisions that we make and the things that we need to do. But we have the Holy Spirit and we have the people around us. Again, God has has placed us in circles and in families like this that we can share. You know, the Bible says when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. We have people around us. We have neighbors that are lost and going to hell. And God has given us the privilege and the opportunity to share somehow the gospel with them. And there's many different ways. It's not a one-size-fits-all. People do all sorts of ministry in different ways that they can. And then we have the Word of God. I can't stress enough how important it is to, to really get into the Word of God. You know, I know we're sort of in this day where everybody has different Bible versions and people don't always bring their, their Bibles to church anymore, but you need to get into the Word of God. You need to spend time reading the Word of God and letting the Holy Spirit talk to you through it. Again, worldliness, whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Do you have some of that in your life? Well, purpose in your heart. 
And ask God for the wisdom and the discernment to get those things out of your life. It's never too late as long as we have breath. You know, self-improvement self, um, is always something God is willing to do. Because the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word. And we thank you for these three little parts of sin that are really very simple to look at. We can look at the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And and they're easy to wrap our head around. What's more difficult many times in our life is to really sit down and evaluate our life and to see maybe where some of these things have made inroads into our life. And Lord, you above all know that none of us here are perfect. As the Bible says, none are righteous, not one. We've all sinned. We all fall short. We're going to continue to sin. We're going to continue to fail in this life. But Lord, we have an advocate. And Lord, when we purpose our hearts towards you, And when we realize that you are the one that sustains us, that gives us the wisdom, that gives us the strength to have the victory in our life, Lord, when we walk in that truth, Lord, we see changes happen. And so, Lord, continue to change each of our lives. Continue to draw us closer to you. Continue to make in us a a yielded spirit, Lord, that doesn't need our own way, that doesn't pursue the things that this world says will make us successful. I think many times if we were to look at at people like Paul, you know, how would we evaluate him? You know, what is our standard, you know, that that we set in this life of, of being successful, of being a good husband or a good wife or a good friend? Lord, your word declares those things to us. And so help us to be obedient to your word and to walk according to your spirit. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.